this time we're talking about change. Fearing change. There are many circumstances surrounding change. One of them I really want to talk about is when you lose someone, that's a big change in your life. How do you deal with it? A lot of people don't know how to deal with grief. When you first hear that someone in your family has passed, what's your first emotion? You want to cry, right? A lot of people cannot show that emotion. And for some reason, they hold back their tears. Why do you do that? Your natural reaction when you find out that someone passed is to cry. Crying cleanses your soul. When you keep your emotions intact and you don't show one ounce of tears, it makes me think that you're hiding something, that you can't process what just happened. When my father passed away, it was the hardest thing in the world for me. I did cry, but not at his funeral. I was in shock. All I saw was a man laying there. And from far away, my eyes were playing tricks on me. I could have sworn I saw him breathe. I said, maybe this is a mistake, but if I get close enough, maybe he'll be alive. But no, it didn't happen that way. I made myself believe, even after the funeral, that when we get home, this didn't happen. It was a dream. We'd come home and he'd be sitting on the sofa watching television. Do you know how I wanted that? I thought to myself, am I in a dream? Am I really awake? Am I seeing this? Am I actually believing that we're, we're burying my father? Because a part of me didn't believe it. I was in two worlds. The world of the world of reality, but a world of fantasy. And I said to myself, which world am I in? I'm caught in between two worlds, life and death. Part of me died with him that day. A small part of me died with him. When we came back to the house the same day and we had people come over, everybody was reminiscing of all the good things he had done, the comedic things that he'd done, because he had a comedy side to him. My father was funny, he could make you laugh, and he had names for certain individuals. Nothing bad, but just funny names. He just had a way of uplifting you. I started to show my emotion, but I had to go to another part of the house. I didn't want to show the tears right away. And I did let out a, a loud cry. And then a part of me was like, will I ever get through this? I was walking around for days trying to find, I would go to the places that he would be at, the supermarket, the racetrack, or sometimes we'd go to the casino because he'd go there once in a while. And I said, he wasn't a gambler. He just wanted to get out of the house and go somewhere. Um, but I couldn't find him. You know what the weird thing about that is, though? And I, I think a lot of people will tell you this. There are people in this lifetime that, if given the opportunity, if given the opportunity, will show you what it means. What it means to be a person. How strong-willed are you? Can you take grief? Can you take grief and everything that comes with it? Change. We all fear change. Whether we lose someone, it's like a big change because now you have to rely on yourself. You have nobody to fall back on. So when my father passed away, okay, I had my mother. 
My mother at the time, and after my father passed away again, she fell apart. You know, she lost the love of her life. They were married for 34 years. That was her rock. You know, her the guy that she, you know, they would hold hands when nobody was looking. They would show affection toward each other. They went places together. They were there for each other. They were a team. Once he passed, her life dramatically changed. So she was without the love of her life. And you imagine this now. So say to yourself, how do I get through life without him? It took a long time. She would stop living. She stopped doing the things that made her happy because when he was taken away from her, her life turned very grim. Darkness came, right? Now you ask yourself, again, how do you process the death of someone? It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to go on, but you know what? From when I heard her drilling this into my head when she was alive, she had kept telling me this now. And, and I said, Mom, please don't talk about you're going to go. You are going to be here for a long time. You have to. you got to see me get married and walk down the aisle. She never did. But I always hoped that she would. Because she goes, in my lifetime, I saw, I've seen both of my daughters and I've been to their weddings. Now I want to see you get married and be at your wedding. It never happened. But I always wished that it would happen, but it didn't. So getting back to losing the love of her life, she had a hard time with just being in life. She stopped doing the things she did. She couldn't enjoy, you know, the little things, you know. She would stop eating. That would affect her health. She would stop eating. She would start wearing all black. It was really morbid to look at her because she, her personality changed. She changed. She wasn't the same happy, carefree woman that she was when my father was alive. And I always thought that if the situation was reversed and my mother had gone first, I don't know if my father would do the whole grieving period. He would grieve for a while, but he wouldn't wear black. I know that. He would have to go on just because. Because, again, think about it in these terms. In your lifetime, you will lose someone. Whether it's your parents, your spouse, your child, whoever is in your life. Okay? You have to learn the stages of grief. There are stages of grief. Not many people go through all those stages. Some people don't show an ounce of emotion. When you don't show an ounce of emotion, it makes me wonder. Are you okay? Because you're not processing it. I've actually uh, been to many funerals and I've seen how people react just by studying their body language. Some cry, but some don't show any emotion. And then some act like nothing happened. And I worry about that too, because I think to myself, well, wait a minute now. We were at the funeral. You didn't show an ounce of tears. You didn't show any type of emotion. Are you feeling all right? And I've noticed it because... Again, we all grieve differently. Some show their emotions right out off the bat and some don't. The ones that don't worry me because I'm thinking to myself, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? You know when I think it starts to hit them? It doesn't hit them right away when you're paying your respects. It hits them months later. And you think to yourself, now for me, I couldn't cry. I had a hard time crying at my father's funeral. And the same thing with my mother. I don't know why. And I said to myself, is this normal? Why aren't I crying? Because I did cry. I was crying internally. I was screaming and crying from the inside. You didn't see it on the outside. I think sometimes, though, I had a hard time crying in front of my family, in front of other people. 
I just cried on my own. I just wanted to kind of let it all out, let all the tears and the emotions come out. Because I felt that it was necessary to do that. Now you ask yourself this question, if you can possibly ask yourself, if anybody's ever gone through it. I guess I'm immune to it because I'm still crying in a sense. That I wish my mother and father were alive and well. And I wish my mother was here right now helping me go through this struggle. I don't like being alone. I will admit it to all of you. Being alone, when you've lost someone and you're the only one left in this house that you grew up in, where you had nobody to talk to, nobody to connect with, I'm struggling right now and I don't know what to turn to. I wish someone was there to just hug me, tell me everything's gonna be okay, put their arms around me, make me feel a sense of security. I don't feel it. I feel very lost right now. I feel so lost that I cry. I actually was crying today. I was showing my emotions while I was working from home. Do you know how hard that is? Now, granted, I could not do that in the workplace because then I'll think, hey, there's something wrong with you. There's a lot of things wrong with me. I just can't get past the idea that, yes, I am trying to go on and I'm trying to be strong, but I'm falling apart at the seams. A lot of my emotions are still pent up. You know, a part of me is walking in a fog. I'm not living. I'm here, but I'm not here. Now, a lot of people say, well, how can you be here and then not here? Unless you know and you've had the experience and you felt what it feels like when you lose someone, you can understand. But if you've never had that experience, trust me. A part of you goes with the person that you missed. My part of me, two parts of me. One part is with my father, another is a part is with my mother. And the, and the weird thing about it is now, because even after my mother passed, it was really difficult for me to accept her death. Coming home every single day to a house that had no life. Still, even now, there's no life. It's just me. Yes, I have people around me, you know, neighbors and stuff. But when you're alone in the house and you're by yourself, you're by yourself. And it's the hardest thing in the world. If you ask yourself a question, you're not going to be alone for a long time, right? Because you have someone in your life. He's with you. He keeps telling me, I am with you. But you're not here. There's a difference. You can tell me I am with you. But you physically, your physical presence has to be here with me in order for me to be, quote, sane. Because I feel like I'm losing my mind when I'm in this house. I could stare at the four walls, run around every room, walk through this house like I'm a zombie. That basically, I'm just trying so hard. I'm trying so hard that a part of me is just... losing it. I have nightmares sometimes, or I sometimes have dreams of what it would have been like if my mother had not passed. We had had this conversation. She invited me up to heaven. I had a conversation with my mother in heaven. I said, oh, this is what heaven is like. Uh, you picture it. Not everybody sees pictures of heaven. Is that what it looks like? 
you know, you go to the pearly gates and you're welcomed in. And then you see the people that were once on this earth alive and well. There was no hint of an illness, nothing, right? And she invited me in and we had a conversation. I broke down crying. I said, Mom, I'm trying so hard to be the woman that you want me to be, to be strong, to be able to persevere and go on without you, but it's so difficult. She goes, I know, and I can see it from up above, the pain that you're in. But I don't want to see you cry. I don't want to see you give up on yourself. I don't want to see anything bad happen to you. You know, I'm worried that you're going to have those thoughts. They're going to consume you, and you're going to do something you may regret. She said to me, focus on the man that's in your life. Focus on him. Make him your number one priority. I said, I am, and I want him here with me. Yes, and I want that for you, too. And you both have to find a way to make it happen. Because again, the end of the year is almost coming. And I have this idea in my head that maybe I can get him down here at a certain time. But I have a feeling it's not going to happen for another year. I don't know if I can go through that. The waiting is the hardest part. But they always say, good things come to those who wait. Now, whoever made up that cliche, what were they thinking? Were they drinking at that time? Who makes up cliches, you know? Good things come to those who wait. I go back to the line in the movie from Before Birth. The first scene where the husband comes home and finds his wife dead on the floor. But before that, he talks with the secretary. I'm sorry, after. I'm sorry, now I got it all mixed up. So he, he comes home from work because when he got dropped off by the man who was his father, who he didn't know at the time, he was trying to give him, I guess, the, the, the cab fare for dropping him off. And the guy goes, you don't have to do this, my child. I know you have lost so many and you will continue to lose so many. How does a person make a statement like that and know? But the, I, said to him, what is it? I said to myself, what is he, a psychic? Because then the scene, okay, so his, his father drives off, right? He goes into the house, thinking nothing of it, calling out for his wife, comes across her, finds her dead on the floor, and then there's a scene where him and his secretary, the secretary decided to invite him. She kind of told him that there was a meeting going on, but that was kind of a white lie. It was more of a, you know, let's talk about what happened, get yourself away from your work, and this and that. But the line in the movie, and again, it is so real in, for my life, that everything that I've gone through parallels my own life. When you strive so hard to become someone, you have everything you've always wanted, a career, someone to come home to, and then that get taken away, and you're left with nothing. Every time I've strived to love someone, every time I turn around to love someone, they're taken away from me. If you think about that line, it's true. You can have happiness in this world, your only true happiness, well, for me, my true happiness is having someone in my life. I'm not going to be happy with the, what I have now because that doesn't mean anything. And a lot of people think that, but you have a home, you have a place, a roof over your head. And I may have a roof over my head, but there's nobody in it. It's just me. How do I go on with this life when I'm by myself in this house and there's nobody here? 
just me and my kitty cat, of course. But animals don't understand. I mean, they have an understanding, but they don't. You can't really have a conversation with an animal. You can't. You got to talk their language, right? The thing that really bothers me is I don't like coming home, going to bed at night all by myself, having nobody next to me. Because sometimes, and I've had it in the past, I've seen this white light in the hallway. Or I would hear noises, creaking. It's like somebody's walking in the hallway, like footsteps. A few times, I hear screaming. I've had to physically put the covers over my head because there's nobody in the, the house but me. And I'm not going to get up to investigate what that is. I'm hoping that the screaming will stop. Now everyone's going to say you're paranoid. Maybe it's your neighbors next door. Maybe it's their animal. No. Come on. You can distinguish and differentiate between a scream and a dog barking. Two different sounds. But lately, when I look out the window, my mother and father have come together in the form of doves. And they're always in that same location. Isn't that a coincidence? I think God is taking palm pity and saying, look at this young woman who, she has survived so much in her lifetime. I said to her, am I being punished? Took my father away from me, and now you took my mother, took everybody that I loved away from me. Did I deserve that? Did I deserve that? Is that like a test of some sort? How much more can I take, you know? I want happiness, I want laughter, I want someone to feel their arms around me, to feel comfort, to say, hey, look, everything is gonna be okay. You are not alone, you have me. Now, the man that I'm in love with has told me that. I said, okay, I could say that to you too. But until you physically come here, you're just saying the words. I want you to physically say the words in front of me and then physically hold me tight. Hold me close to you and never let me go. I want that feeling. Human interaction, in my opinion, is important. If you say to me, let's think back to pandemic, when everybody was on lockdown. I was by myself. I didn't have human interaction. Oh yeah, you can video chat with someone. It does not have the same effect. You can have a phone call. It does not have the same effect. When you're face-to-face with someone, that's important to me. That is something I long for. The touch, to feel someone's arms around me, to have them touch me. Power of touch and a hug heal someone who is grieving, someone who is going through an illness. You could touch someone and make them feel better. Hold them in your arms, comfort them. When I was going through my illness with my, with my cancer, my mother did that. I was having pain in certain parts of my body. All she had to do was touch and I felt good. She healed me with her touch. She healed me with her voice. Those are two powerful things. Now when you go through grief, you're by yourself. After we came back from my mom's funeral, I didn't want to be alone in this house. I was scared to come into the house. Even though she didn't pass here, I still felt scared. For the, for the first six months, I slept downstairs in the living room. I could not even go into the room she was at. I was afraid to. Because her presence was strong, and I felt 
just can't. I, 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 I was scared. I was scared to just be alone in this house. I was petrified. And when even when I was sleeping, I had the TV on. I thought I heard noises. And I remember when I had both of my cats. Now, one of my cats sneaked up and she actually knocked something over. I heard this loud crash. And I'm like, oh my God, am I hearing stuff? She actually went upstairs and jumped on stuff and knocked something over. And I was like, oh my God. I had such a heart attack. Like, somebody's upstairs. Somebody got into the house. Because I always made sure I locked the doors and the windows. With my mom, that's what she taught us. Before you go to bed at night, and even if you're in the house and you don't go anywhere, lock your doors and your windows. You know, yes, you live in a safe neighborhood, but you don't want to take any chances. And even, too, in the back, make sure, like I would lock my vehicle and put the alarm on, even though it's a driveway and nobody can really come back here, but you never know, right? And lock the garage. Well, there's a passcode. You'd have to know what the passcode is, right? But you say to yourself, what can I do? What can I do to get through it? I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his laughter. I want to hear his sound. I want him to put his arms around me and make me feel better. I want him to know that I have him and he has me. I don't want to be a burden though to anybody. And I feel like when my mother passed, it was a form of punishment. Now, I know that's a wrong thing to say because, again, my mother was suffering and she had said, I don't want to live if there's that type of pain. I can't. She even said it. She couldn't hold her head up. She lost interest. She couldn't eat anything. Her quality of life went downhill pretty quickly. And part of my selfish reasons was, well, mom, maybe we can get you to, you know, maybe get a second opinion. She goes, no. She goes, I don't want to live this way. But if you can understand the pain that I'm going through, you'd understand. But she didn't understand. Or actually, I didn't understand. But now I realize that when you're in that type of pain, you really can't enjoy it. You can't enjoy life. You can't. Your quality of life changes dramatically. The thing about it is, and when I look be past between my father's passing and my mother's, there are two different passings. My father passed um, my father passed in the most beautiful way. He had his family surrounding him and he passed away at home. That was his last wishes. My mother, though, didn't have that. And a part of me blames myself for her death. Maybe that if I hadn't called for them to come and try to revive her, she would have passed peacefully. She died in a hospital. He died at home. There's a difference right there. Now, I know we can't go back and undo what's been done, but I still think about that time. The image that I saw of her when it was fine time, fine time to say goodbye to her, it was not a pleasant image looking at her. The way she was laying on that table and her mouth was open. Her eyes were slightly open. I'm like, Mom... You can't be gone, please. Please give her a chance. Tell, try to revive her again. I had a hard time. I was going through. There was a part of me that just couldn't accept it. I thought, she's going to be around a long time. She's going to see happiness with me. 
and with whoever I choose as a partner in life. Because she had wanted that. I mean, she had lived to see my, fa- my, my father walk down the aisle with his oldest daughter. She was there, both there in their glory. And then when my other sister got married, but she couldn't walk her middle daughter down the aisle. It was too much for her, so my sister walked herself down the aisle. And I said, well, maybe it'll be different with me. You will see the happiness with me and the man that will be my husband. And you will love him, and you will have another son-in-law. And who knows, you may be a grandmother again. But it never happened. My older sister, we had this conversation when she said to me, I feel for you, I feel for the pain, because you didn't have mom and dad. You don't have them at your when you get married. And I'm like, you're right. Who's going to give me away? Now, I can easily say to my significant other, why don't we just elope? I don't want to go through the whole wedding thing, but then it would be a dishonest. It would be a dishonest service. I want our families, his family and mine, to come together as one. That would be a joyous celebration. But again, I'm struggling right now to make sense. Where's my life going? Without the guidance of my mother and father, I have to make these decisions on my own. And I'm not saying that it's difficult. By any means, no. But I don't want to rely on family every single time there's a crisis. And I don't want them to think that I can't take care of myself. I'm trying to go beyond that. When you get to be a certain point, you have to physically move on. You know, I can take care of myself to an extreme. You know, I'm working now and trying to manage this house to the best of my ability but it's it takes its toll on you and you think to yourself something is bound to break something has to be fixed and and in which case yes something has to be fixed something's gonna break and I'm responsible for all of that I mean I'm the one who lives here who pays property taxes every quarter so if you ask yourself this question how are you gonna help what are you gonna do how are you gonna make it work I lost a sense of my identity when I lost my mother. We had developed a close bond. Mother and daughter were close. We did things together. When I was feeling at my lowest, she helped me. When I lost my jobs, she helped me. She didn't turn away and say, hey, I'm going to kick you out of the house because you can't help out. She never did that. She was the... She was more than just my mother. She was like a queen. I put her up there as a queen. She was a queen to me. Like my father was the king, she was the queen. She could do no wrong. She was smart. A woman who didn't have an education, who came from poverty, both her and my father, they were both intelligent human beings. They were smart. They helped me through the hardest times of my life. It was the one time when all three of us were together in my father's and mother's bedroom. Two years before my father passed, I wanted to take my life. When I saw my father cry, it hurt. But he showed his emotion. He goes, I don't want you to ever, ever say to me, you want to remove yourself from this world. You've got so much promise in your life. You can accomplish so much in your life. But if you give up, you're never going to know what you can do down the line. Come on now. Where is this coming from? 
Is someone hurting you? Is someone saying something to you? Because I will put them in their place. And my father was a blunt man. Yes, my father was a very blunt man. He didn't want anyone to hurt his daughters. He found, and or his wife. He, he protected us, the women in the family, with such fierceness and determination. He didn't want to see a man harm us in any way. And I always said, my father will be around for me when it's my turn. But it never happened. And I was just so scared. If I lose him, where's my protection? I gotta learn how to defend myself. I gotta learn how to stand on my own two feet. I have to learn to do that. I mean, who else is going to do it, right? But when you're at an age, like now, I lost my father when I was 21. Now 21 is still young. You think, okay, I still need my father. I still need him. I only had him from the time I was a little girl to teenager. I never thought that he would go at that young age. You know, he survived everything in life that was thrown at him. He survived... Uh, poverty. He survived the Korean War. He survived two heart attacks. He was in the hospital for numerous, numerous um, conditions and he survived the cancer. Now I speak, cancer is near and dear to me and not just breast cancer, all cancer. I would think I would like to be a spokesmodel for all cancer, to be an inspiration for all of you who are going through that illness because it's not a death sentence by any means. You think it is. In your mind's eye, you think, oh my God, I've got cancer. Now I'm not going to fight for my life. Yes, you are. Let me ask you, well, let me tell you, let me tell you all something. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, the the time they thought it had gone to my lungs, my older sister was preparing for my funeral. You know what she said to me? And I thought, come on, now where's this coming from? She said, you're going to die just like daddy. Let's back up a minute. Daddy had lung cancer. I don't. They don't know. They are just assuming. They're making an assumption that the spots in my lungs are related to cancer. But after all was said and done and I went through my treatment, I didn't even have a hint of lung cancer. So where's your funeral now? If anything, there should be a celebration. Hey, I made it. I'm in remission. I'm here now. 17 years later, as I'm talking to all of you, I didn't give up the fight. And you know what stopped me from the thoughts I was having? He's like, I felt guilty, you know? I said to myself, my father didn't survive lung cancer, but I got a second chance. Again, he died in the 20th century. I lived in the 21st century. It's a big difference, decades. If you think about when you were diagnosed, there wasn't enough treatment. There wasn't any options when it came to cancer. It was a death sentence for him, not for me. But I still regretted surviving. You know, after I had my last chemotherapy and they said, hey, the tumor's completely gone. Whatever drug they used did the trick. I was happy. I had tears of happiness, but at the same time, I thought of my father. And I said to myself, if he was alive and he saw me go through it, would he be able to handle it? Well, I know he would break down. He would break down crying. And I said, that's okay, Dad. Cry. Show us your emotions. 
Show me your emotions. I like that in a man when you can cry and not hide from the world. Again, men, cry. Cry. When you lose someone, your natural reaction is to cry. This is why change. When you have that dramatic change in your life, your life takes a different turn. And you have to say to yourself, now I've got to stand on my own two feet because both of my parents are not here. You know, and, and, and you know what the, the, the weird part is? It's not even weird, but you will still need your parents even after you've made your own lives. When you're grown adults and you think, okay, I won't need my mother and father to fall back on, you will always go back to them. And your father and mother will never turn away from you. Because to them, you're always going to be their child. Whether they have one child or two or three or four or whatever, they're always going to love their children and be around for them. They're never going to stop being a parent just because, okay, now my job as a parent is done, my children are grown. No, you still continue to be parents even after. My, my sister right now is going through empty nest syndrome because her kids are grown and they're all scattered. And she goes, well, one day they will get married and provide you with grandchildren. You'll be a grandmother. You will do the job that mom did. You will spoil your grandkids and spend time with them. She just wants them in the house with her. I said, well, I told her back in the day when they were young, enjoy them while they're young because when they get to be a certain age, they are going to spread their wings and leave. You can't stop them from making a life for themselves. But hey, there's always a, you're never going to stop being a parent. Just because they're grown out of the house doesn't mean that's it. My job as a parent is done. Now you get to spend time with your husband, but you're also going to enjoy being grandparents. Something to think about, you know. It's never too old or too young to have those thoughts. Have you asked yourself this question? Can you do it? So part of me loves children. I mean, I watched my nieces and nephew grow up in front of my eyes, and now they're in age where, oh my God. You know, my niece turned 30, my middle niece, and she's like, that's old. I said, no, those are the best years of your life. But she did remember a time when she was close to my mother. She loved my mother. My mother was a good cook. She was just wonderful to be around. She taught all three of her grandkids to speak Greek. Yeah. She tried to talk to them in Greek, but... <laughs> It was comical watching them trying to speak the words that my mother taught them. But but I will tell you, though, that, again, it's hard to, and I've always said this, what it would have been like if both my parents hadn't passed and they were going through all the changes that we were going through, dealing with all the stuff we had to go through with the pandemic and everything that happened prior to that. When my mother was around the 25 years that she was on this earth, heard and seen everything. My father, no. My father died in the early 90s. And then that's like the 20th century. Not much happened. Well, yes, a lot of interesting news stories happened, but most of it happened in the 2000s. And you think to yourself, wow, he's been gone. He's missed out on so much. He hasn't seen me grow time that he remembered me was when I was 21 and my mother when I was 46 it was hard to let go of my mother though and I always thought that she would be around forever and I was wrong and I said to myself will it ever get better it should right you know when you lose somebody that meant something to you you have to find a way 
to live again. I mean, I've lost people, many family members, pets, family friends. I've been into more funerals than anything. And it never gets easier. But you do get, you do at some point have to continue on with the life cycle. You have to. There is no choice. You can't fall apart. You gotta be strong. I just cannot do this alone. Every time I think, what's gonna happen down the line? I have all these premonitions, bad thoughts going through my head. I've had dreams about my own funeral. And the fact that nobody showed up, I was alone. Because in life, when you have no friends and death, you're alone. It's kind of like, you know, even if you are married and you have, you know, your husband and your family and your kids, you're still alone. You're not going to go at the same time unless, of course, some natural disaster comes and you're both together. That's one thing. It's the idea that... how I can live with that and I'm trying I'm trying to be strong for all of you I'm trying to, under, to, to let you understand and let you know that again it is a part of life at some point down the line you are going to lose somebody in your family you have to know how to be strong take your time breathing remember the good not the bad think of the good stuff the memories the things that you grew up with don't reflect on the bad because you're never going to get past it. For me, it took a long time. I still am trying to recover from my mother's death. I am taking it one day at a time. Even though she's been gone for six years, it seemed like it happened yesterday. But her presence is always around in the form of an angel, a white light. Doubts. She's come every single day. She has heard me cry. God saying, your daughter's crying and I'm worried about her. She's not of the right frame of mind. She may have those thoughts. I'm not going to alarm everybody. I'm not going to do anything. Because I can't. I have somebody to focus on in my life. I don't want to disappoint him. I love him too much to leave him. And he said he would be lost without me. But I said, look, I love you. You're not going to lose me. I'm going to be with you forever. I just want us to get together sooner. I need to feel human interaction, human companionship. If I don't, I feel like a part of me is just going to disappear. And I don't want to have them. I don't want to have the thoughts of doing that. I think I need to be strong. I think in all reality, we all have to be strong. We have to go on. The cycle of life is continuing. Cycle of life. So I'm going to let all of you go. But I want you to think about this. When it comes time to grieving, change. You have to get on with life. I'm not saying forget about the people that were in your life. That's not what I'm saying. You're always going to have them in your heart. And wherever you go in life, they will be with you in spirit. But you need to be strong. You need to tackle life. Try to stand on your own two feet. Even if you're alone like me... It's hard for me. I get emotional, I cry, but once I know that I can get on with life and be strong again, and once I know that I have my significant other with me, it will be much easier. And I think that my mother will have her soul rest in peace because right now it's crying out saying, please help my daughter before it's too late. She's an angel among the angels. 
So God bless all of you. Take care.